All right, I want us to look at uh, a passage found in Mark's gospel, the third chapter, and the first six verses, and from the New Living Translation, it goes something like this. Now, Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Now, since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. For if he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to the man with a deformed hand, Come, stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is it a day to save life or to destroy it? But they couldn't answer him, wouldn't answer him. And he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Now, let me just kind of put a little personal commentary, biblical commentary in here. A lot of people think that as a Christian, we're not supposed to get angry about anything. Look, he looked at them angrily. Why did he look at them angrily? Because he was angry at them, right? But notice the rest of the verse. And was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. So you see, you the things that we need to be angry about. But those same things that we get angry about ought to also make our hearts sad because of the hard hearts that caused that anger. Well, let's read on. So he said, then he said to the man, hold out your hand. And so the man held out his hand and it was restored. And at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Well, today our sermon is this, afraid of what goes bump in the night. How many of you have ever heard that ostriches bury their head in the sand when they become scared or frightened? That instinctively, when something scares them, they're just going to, bury their head in the sand in hopes that the trouble that they're facing will, will pass by. Anybody ever heard that? Look at this picture. Now, based on that legend, on that belief, would you say that this ostrich in the picture is frightened? Would you? Very much so, right? Okay. Based on the legend, we would have to say true. He's very frightened. But the correct answer is absolutely not. Because the belief that ostriches bury their head in the sand when frightened is just a myth, a fable, a lie. See, when ostriches are threatened, they are capable of running for short distances at 40 miles per hour, okay? 
They can run for over 10 miles and 30 miles per hour. So they have that defense mechanism. They can outrun some of their, their predators. But did you also know that they live together in groups for mutual protection and that they are capable of kicking a predator with enough force that will kill a full-grown lion. So why are there so many pictures of ostriches buried like this one with their head in the sand? Well, the answer is clear when we bring the picture into the light of truth. Now, when ostriches get ready to have a family, before she lays her eggs, they will dig a, a, a hole about six to eight feet in, in, in circumference and about two to three feet deep. The female lays her eggs, and then they cover them back up and sit on top of the dirt with the eggs underneath them. Now, several times during the day, and they usually take turns about, I understand, they will stick their head down into that hole where their eggs are and with their beaks gently rotate those eggs to help them continue to, to grow, to become their offspring, offspring. Now, we use the myth about ostriches today. We call it burying our head in the sand. When people are scared, particularly scared of something that they do not understand. Now, this is, this is just observation. I don't have the Barna Group backing up my, what I'm about to say. The, the Pew Institute hasn't done a study on this, but this is just simply my life observations. And at 61, I've had, seen a lot of life, okay? Not only are people afraid of things they do not understand, but Oftentimes, they are even more afraid of things they do not want to understand. You following me? Now, today we're going to look at one of those moments, those many moments when Jesus, his message, his mission, and his purpose are in conflict with the religious people, okay? When things are not just, what Jesus is doing not, is going with what the religious folks, now it, now it may be just me. And if it is, I, I, I own it. But it just seems to me that Jesus had more problem with religious people than he did sinners. I mean, that's just me, okay? But it seems like there's always controversy around religious folks. And this passage here that we just read this morning is at the end of, of a series of five confrontations that Jesus had with the protectors of the religion, otherwise known as Pharisees. And I think the protectors of religion knew that Jesus was a threat to them. Now, in case you don't remember what those five confrontations are, there they are on the screen for you. I'm, I keep apologizing. I'm looking at the screen back here. Let's look at your screens. Uh, it starts in chapter 2, and in the first uh, verses 2 through 12, the confrontation is about forgiving sins and then Jesus healing the paralyzed man. In verses 13 through 17, it's about Jesus calling Matthew, the tax collector, to be his disciple and then going to a party with Matthew, with all of his other sinner friends. Because remember, sinners, the only friends most of them had back then, and probably a lot true today, is only other sinners, Okay. And then in verses 18 through 22, it's the question about fasting, and Jesus counters that with about the new wine of the Holy Spirit. 
And then verses 23 through 28, it's a confrontation about the purpose of the Sabbath. And then finally here in chapter 3, it is about what is appropriate for the Sabbath. Now, if you can remember only one thing from this morning's message, it needs to be this. When our relationship with Jesus is deep and we are unshakable in our commitment to Jesus, we do not need to be afraid of anything. Uneasy? Probably. Because Jesus never asked us how we feel or asked for our input. His plans can easily make us feel uneasy. Because Jesus doesn't think about things and about people and situations the way we think about them. Does he make us feel challenged? Oh, absolutely. Because Jesus is always challenging us to to think different, speak different, act different from, 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 from our own understanding about our way of thinking and especially being different from the ways of our culture. Now, it's okay to feel uneasy following Jesus. It's okay to feel challenged following Jesus. But it is never, ever, ever okay to be afraid to follow Jesus. You can go uneasily. You can go feeling challenged. But you can never go being afraid. Now, fear reveals what? Now, some would say fear reveals doubt, but that's not what the Bible says. In John, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, John says, Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and it shows that we have not fully experienced His perfect love. Now, perfect love, God's love, means that we don't have to, to we, we can trust God completely. No matter what, even if we don't understand what he's doing, we can trust him. But fear says you can't trust God. You can't rely on God. You can't depend upon God. You cannot count on his love always, always being there for you. So let's get back to the confrontation between Jesus and the, perfect, and the protectors of religion otherwise known as Pharisees. Jesus is a threat to them, so that makes them afraid. Well, let's look at what makes the Pharisee, well, well, a Pharisee. All right, look, they believed in the Hebrew Scriptures to be divinely inspired. They believed in the coming Messiah and the resurrection, unless you were a Sadducee. You you remember hearing that that word Sadducees in the Bible? The Sadducees were a group of guys that that did not believe in the resurrection, and that's why they were called Sadducees. With no resurrection, see, they were sad, you see. Blame that on Bob Lewis, our former district lay leader and conference lay leader. Not only did they believe in the Messiah and the resurrection, they believed in practicing spiritual disciplines such as prayer, worship, the things that we do. They believed in heaven and angels, demons and hell. They believed in studying God's Word and knowing it well. And they believed in the importance of living a life that pleases God. Now, that's pretty good so far, wouldn't you say so? Would you feel comfortable having those kinds of of people here in our church? Wouldn't be bad sitting around folks like that, would it? Well, 
There's more to the protectors of the religion than this. And that's why Jesus was a threat. They thought they were more spiritually advanced than they really were. They ignored their sins and forgot how desperately they needed forgiveness. They focused on secondary, non-important issues. They tried to force others to have the same priorities they had, and they refused to have anything to do with broken, messed up people. And so Jesus comes along. And in these five episodes, these five encounters, these five confrontations with the protectors of the religion happens very early in Jesus' public ministry and his mission. And it set the tone for what his mission, his message, and his purpose was all about. And I happen to think that these protectors of the religion were smart enough to figure it out that Jesus was coming against everything they held precious. Now, let's take a closer look at that fifth confrontation. Bring back verse 5. Take a moment look at it again. And he looked around them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hearts. Now, these, these Pharisees, those protectors of the religion, were afraid of Jesus because of his message. You see, they were living in the dark. They were afraid of anything that might go bump in their darkness. And the, they, see, they, 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 they were comfortable in their religion. But because they, they, they did not understand that, that there's more to than just, just religion, their hearts had grown hard and cold toward God. And as a result, their heart was dark. Because God's love cannot penetrate hard hearts. That's why Jesus said you've got to be born again. That's why Paul talked about the new, new heart that, that Jesus longs to give us. Now, these protectors of the religion, they were masters at hiding their fears, just like many are today. Here are the fears that the protectors of the religion had, and and I want you to examine your own heart to see if any of these are present in yours. Number one, they were afraid of being vulnerable. You see, the Pharisees wanted everything and thought everything ought to be neat, calm, predictable. And to achieve such an unrealistic state of nirvana, they put on a front a veneer. See, they were more concerned about the outward show, their public image, than they were about the true condition of their heart. And to deflect anything that might reveal their heart, they would always point out the sins and shortcomings of everybody else, okay? They believed, wrongly believed, that if others saw how they really were, that, that, that people wouldn't love them anymore, they wouldn't like them anymore, that they would lose respect. And most of all, they were afraid that if they become real and genuine and authentic and let the things of their heart come to the light, they wrongly believed that God would not love them. All for the sake of an image, a false image. They were afraid of being vulnerable. Next thing, they were afraid of being exposed. 
See, the nature of sin, that nature that lives in every one of us, wants us to feel like we have it all together. Remember the sin of Adam and Eve. The temptation was you can be your own God and in charge of your own life. The Pharisees didn't want to be known as people who needed to be helped. They wanted to be experts on everything relating to God. Now confronted with the Son of God. They were afraid of their weaknesses and sins being brought out in the open. They would rather have lived with a secret sin than to be authentic and genuine. They were experts on religion, but not on relationships, and that's what God wants. The next thing is they were afraid of tackling the difficult issues of life, and we've just done that, didn't we? See, they had their own little neat and tidy system of beliefs. And those systems of beliefs created for them a zone of comfort. It was comfortable because it did not challenge them to go deeper with God. It was a way for them to be contented with just what they had. Just the way they were. It made them feel ill at ease because it insulated them and isolated them from the truth. And they wanted simple answers, and the truth is, life is rarely simple because it's about people and real issues of life. Next thing, they were afraid of change. See, they were comfortable, so they longed for predictability. They didn't want anything to upset their apple cart. They liked what they had and wrongly assumed that predictability is equal to peace. If everything stayed just like it was, they would have peace. Now, God wanted some changes, changes that would have helped them grow stronger and deeper in their relationship. Changes that would have enabled them to reach out to those who did not have that kind of relationship so that they could have that kind of experience. To to help others who did not have a relationship with God be able to develop that relationship with God. Besides, it was the way it had been done for generations. That was good enough for them. Jesus was changing the rules. They didn't like it one little bit. They saw change as a threat to their relationship with God. But it's not. In fact, our relationship with Jesus grows stronger when we face the challenges of life and faith together. The challenges are, Jesus didn't come to to make us feel comfortable. He promised us the comforter, but the comforter does not come to make us comfortable. Do y'all understand what I'm saying? The comforter comes to walk alongside of us through all the discomforts of life to grow deeper in our relationship with Him. Change meant they had to give up their comfortable view and, and be challenged. And the final thing is they were afraid of failure. You see, they, they were human enough to know they would stick with things they were familiar with so that they could do those things they were familiar with well and they wouldn't have to worry about failing because sometimes we get it in, Satan puts it in our head that failure means we are a failure. They see oftentimes failure as final. But no failure is, is final unless 
we allow that failure to define us. And we give up. See, they were afraid to try anything that was different. And fear is what Satan uses to keep us from being all that God sees in us. And if he can keep us afraid of the challenges and the changes that we go through in life, then he knows he has us and he doesn't have to fear us, but he knows that if we are open to the change and the movement of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual journey, Satan is terrified that we'll do it. Because when we follow the Holy Spirit, Satan days are numbers. We don't have to be afraid of anything because as followers of Jesus, we are never, ever in the dark. Because when our relationship with Jesus is deep and we are unshakable in our commitment to Him, we do not have to be afraid of anything. Religion, though, it gives us a place to hide, to hide from the truth, to hide from our sin, to hide from being vulnerable and exposed. It's a place, though, that fills us with fear. And God never, ever wants us to live in fear. You see, God did not design us for religion. God is not interested in our religious choices. God designed and created us for a relationship with Him. And that's what matters most to God. Relationship is the way, the only way to be free of fear. His perfect love is the love that we can rely on because it is with that love that He loved every one of us sinners on as He hung on the cross. As we get ready to sing our last song, I want you to think about your next steps. If you are living with some secret fear, the first thing you need to do is to name that fear. What is it you are really, really afraid of? Not the thing you have projected that fear onto, but what is at the core of any fear that is in your heart? And if you have any fear, this is the morning to come to that altar to Name that fear to Jesus and to ask Him to take that fear out of your heart. So if you're living in fear, that's your next step. Name it and bring it to Jesus. Now, if you do not have a relationship and have settled in on religion, I want you to listen real close. Make Jesus more than a religion. Make Him your Savior. This altar is the place to alter your life. I got that little bit of inspiration through Sam, our new uh, office manager, administrative assistant, whatever we call it. She's the one that does everything around here during the week. And as I was looking, she always lets me proof the bulletin if I'm in the office. And, and I was looking, and, 
and, and, and during the, in the traditional bulletin, we have a thing called altar closing hymn. We're calling it that now. And instead of A-L-T-A-R, she had spelled it A-L-T-E-R. She's laughing, and I said, you know, there's some truth in that sound. To come to Jesus, we need to alter some things in our hearts and in our minds. And if you've been content on a religion, this is your moment to come to this altar and alter your life because He wants a relationship with you. And no matter where you've been, what you've done, or who you've done it with, He wants to offer you a relationship this morning. Don't be afraid of what goes bump in the dark because if our hearts are remade, there is no more darkness. And He'll shine the light of His love in you as we sing.